Welcome to the Gridiron Show, and week 14 gave us some answers, but a hell of a lot of questions as well. The Patriots clinched the AFC East uh, with their seventh straight division title. The Panthers sealed a bye. The Cardinals sealed a playoff place. It's a three-way run for the AFC wildcard. Everything seems sewn up in the NFC, and we might have two divisions where they're one with a losing record. We're going to go through all the playoff picks, and I've got Matthew Sherry on the line with me. Really looking forward to this one. This is the Gridiron Show. It is indeed the Gridiron Show in association with Sports Travel Tour, Sports Travel for Sports Fans. By Sports Fans, Will Gavin in studio. Ollie Hunter is off on the slopes of Val so joining me on the line. A real pleasure to have him with us. Matt Sherry, how are you, sir? Very good. That music is a perfect Thursday morning, isn't it? Yeah, are you um, <clears throat> are you feeling it? It's about half seven. I've been up all night working, so I'm in the zone, but uh, you've just literally arisen from bed. How's that feeling? got a giant book to say that's all i can say <laughs> okay I, I now i'm intrigued to know what else you're doing are you dressed at least i am dressed only just um last minute decision to get dressed it was too cold to wear just a dressing gown sadly i'm i'm pleased that you've at least got some clothes on because <laughs> i know that you can't see me and i can't see you and we're separated by 300 miles of of long M1 motorway, but I just can't handle the idea that your balls are out right now. They often are when I'm, uh, when I'm in the house working. Good. Good to know. That's what happens when you freelance and you get to run your own magazine from home. Matt is, of course, the editor of Gridiron Magazine, and we've got so much to talk about with the Week 14 games. Every, people have been getting in touch with us on Twitter, at Gridiron, and uh, on the Predictor League, gridiron-magazine.com. I had an excellent week after my drop-off last week, uh, and I've now re-established a three-game lead over you, Matthew. So, uh, I, think, yeah, I, th- I think it's four now as well. Oh, did you? I took the Giants last night. Yeah, I, t- I took the Dolphins largely because I knew you had taken the Giants and I needed, to, uh, <laughs> I needed to try and close the gap. It's tactical now. That's the position we've got to. Uh, so, as I say, there is loads to get to. So, uh, it was a odd weekend, a weekend where injuries played a huge part. Uh, it looks like we could be having a situation in the next few weeks where we're going to have TJ Yates versus Charlie Whitehurst for the AFC South title and Brock Osweiler versus AJ McCarron for who's going to take a first round buy uh, if i'd offered you though odds on that at the beginning of the season i think they would have been slim um the only big bit of news that's not revolving around the games is the uh, the games for next week not next weekend the weekend after the giants have been flexed into the late game after their win on monday night football giants at vikings is now the late game on that sunday so we know we're gonna have cardinals eagles next weekend and giants vikings the weekend after because the nfc uh, disgrace or east as most know it is such a mess that we now have to watch them play football every weekend because every game matters for them, Matt. Yeah, I mean, it's not ideal. Um... <laughs> well said. I think that sums up the situation perfectly. Uh, uh, the way we're going to do the show, and starting off, Adam tweets us, are the playoff positions, as we're concerned, now set, as far as he can see, Jet Steelers, the only question mark out of those two, other than those two terrible divisions. And I think that's how we're going to do it. We'll go through the AFC, we'll go through the NFC, we'll talk about the games that happened this weekend and how we saw them and, and what we're going to pick. Um, and we also asked for your bold predictions. Josh tweeted us saying, the Broncos are going to lose out, Casey will win out and take the division, and the Jets will beat the Broncos to make it to the playoffs in the final weekend of the season. Well, not the final weekend, the weekend before, because the final weekend's obviously divisional. That's pretty ridiculous. But what is amazing is that after seeing this weekend, 
any of that stuff could happen. Yeah, it really could. I mean, I think we're all done trying to predict NFL games now, aren't we? It's, I, I feel like the last two weeks in particular have been the most unpredictable I've ever seen watching the NFL. And I always think it's unpredictable, but it's just been crazy. Everything you think one week has just flipped on its head in crazy fashion the next. And what's been absolutely ridiculous about it is that it's been, even when you've thought to yourself that you can be cute and guess that a game is going to be a, a trap game or something like that, and actually previously this season you've been able to do that, um, there have just been uh, occasions like, I mean, we'll talk about the Colts game in a bit, but really everyone was talking about them being back in control of the AFC South. They lost to Pittsburgh in a big way, but people expected them to beat the Jags this weekend. Most people picked that on gridiron, and they got absolutely routed. Uh, Brock Osweiler, we were all high on him this weekend. He got beaten by a Raiders team not to mention sacked an absolute truckload, and we'll get onto that game as well in a minute. There's so many bits and pieces which completely killed any predictions for this weekend. And In fact, let's start off, we talked about injuries at the top, let's start off with an AFC North clash. Uh, the Steelers against the Bengals. Andy Dalton hurt his right thumb while making a tackle on an interception, and the Steelers roughed up backup AJ McCarron while putting, pulling away a 33-20 to victory over the Bengals on Sunday. The Steelers rumbling on 8-5. and Some pre-game beef between these teams. Uh, let's start off, however, by talking about the Bengals because for me at this point, this is the true test of Hugh Jackson. We've been talking about him all season as if he's going to be a head coaching guy next year he's now potentially going to be facing at least these three games with AJ McCarron um they're talking about um Dalton as he's week to week but from what I understand it's gonna be four to six weeks 49ers at home this week but then they've got to go and play the Broncos then the Ravens and he's got to run this offense with a guy who before this weekend had only taken four snaps in the NFL and without Tyler Eifert who's such a safety blanket potentially as well in your mind has this completely killed the Bengals off um, I'd say I'd, I actually don't think it has just because I'd, it's not beyond the realms of possibility for them to go into Denver and win even with AJ McCarron. I mean, they've got a good enough a good enough defense. If you if you look at what Oakland did this week, if you can play solid defense and keep the game close, then you can try and take it late. And looking at the other games on the schedule, there should still be San Francisco and Baltimore. So I'm not sure it is the end for them. They, they almost certainly, well, yeah, they will need to win that game in Denver, I think. Although, it's hard to give Denver any, any wins as well because, I mean, you could see, you could see them losing to San Diego in the last game of the season. I, I think they're a team that can be beaten by any team that's able to keep the game close. But you would expect Denver to win the last game, which would mean that Cincinnati would have to go in there and beat them, but I, I don't think that's against the realms of possibility. I mean, we're talking in terms of the bye here, because the Bengals should be in the playoffs. It'd be very yeah. unlikely that they slipped out altogether. They'd have to lose out and have other things really go against them for that to happen, but I think if they get a bye week, if they win two of those games and they get a bye week because uh, either they beat the Broncos or the Broncos slip up again, then that's that one extra week. You get four weeks to get Dalton back. Dalton comes back for that first playoff game in the divisional round. They've managed to avoid the Patriots most likely and they have whoever's the the highest winning seed from the remaining teams. There could be a very hot Chiefs team. Uh, we'll get on and talk about them. Could be the Jets, could be the Steelers, could be all sorts of teams. Oh, this, if it was the Steelers, that would be a hell of a game coming into that one so it just suddenly their season seems like it's relevant again but I feel like they've got to look at that offense this week and make sure that 
AJ McCarron has helped out in every way possible because he made a couple of great throws in this game. I, I thought that, I mean, obviously the AJ Green throw will get a lot of attention, but I think that had a lot to do with having the playmaker in AJ Green. But actually, AJ McCarron made two or three other decent throws, made 280 yards on 32 attempts through the two killer interceptions. He's a rookie, not a rookie, but like a first time out. The pick six was bad, but there was enough in that that suggested if you build around him this week with a terrible 49ers team coming in, Actually, they could do something. Yeah, well, I, I mean, what I always want in a quarterback is a guy who can step up in big moments. And anybody who watched AJ McCarron at Alabama knows that. And if you're a Bengals fan who hasn't watched college football, just look up his game-winning drive at LSU. I think it was in his second last season at Alabama. And that can give you hope that the season's still alive because this is a guy who's ready for the big moments and can rise up in those situations the worry about McCarron was always his arm strength and to an extent I guess that was shown up on the pick six solo. It's hard to throw the ball that far outside when you've got a guy about to drill you in the head. Um, so that Being was a McCarron worry. apologist on that one, that was a bad throw and as you say it was down to a, a, a weak arm. Yeah and I mean that is what the worry about him is but at this time of year you really just want a guy who isn't going to shrink in the big moments and if he can match that up it's easy to forget as well. The Bengals have a very good defense, a very good offensive line, and a re- and a really good pair of running backs. So they should be able to take the ball out of the quarterback's hands and control the game that way as well. But as you say, that is the big test of Hugh Jackson, and I think Hugh Jackson's head coach and third this offseason kind of gets decided in the next three games. What's amazing is that we've actually, uh, we absolutely tore down a guy on Twitter last week who got in touch with the show when we were in with Paolo on Friday and asked, can the Steelers till, still take the North? And the moment that Dalton went down and they suggested it could be something serious, I, I, I the first thing I thought of was, uh, that guy might actually get his way now <laughs> for the Steelers. This does see them back with their way into potentially taking the division if they do slip up. They still continue to look good. We don't need to focus on them too much. We know their offense is great. Roethlisberger set the tone, the 31-yard bomb to Marcus Wheaton on third and one. I mean, it's third and one, and you've got D'Angelo Williams, who's playing brilliantly in the backfield in the last few games. You go, no, 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 I'm going to throw it 31 yards to my third-choice receiver instead. A ridiculous choice of play, but this offense is sort of pulling that sort of thing off at the moment. Um, and they got the run game going and, and the Steelers are looking pretty good for one of those wildcard places but the other part of the buy and as a Patriots fan we'll talk about the Patriots in our next game after this and I just how things have shaken out for you is absolutely ridiculous but Khalil Mack has the game of his life maybe the game of his career five sacks of Brock Osweiler completely stamped himself on this game last year as a rookie he was a brilliant run stuffer he made some decent tackles for loss but he's now the sack leader in the NFL or was going into the uh, game before JJ Watt played again and just killed Brock Osweiler in a grotty game as the Raiders won 15-12 over the Broncos in Mile High. And just, you watched a lot of this game and what a performance from that one man. It was absolutely incredible. One of the best individual performances I've ever seen from a defensive player in the NFL. And what people often talk about with pass rushes is how there can be game wreckers. And players who legitimately can be game wreckers uh, incredibly, incredibly rare, and that is exactly what Khalil Mack did. He literally, which for a defensive end is impressive, took over that game completely, and it went from being an easy Denver win 
to a tight game that Auckland took, largely because of Khalil Mack. It was it was really, really impressive. I'd urge anybody who hasn't seen it to go back and watch it because it's just a prime example of why teams pay big money for premium pass rushers. It's interesting as well uh, from the Denver side because obviously you want to talk about premium pass rush. They've had it this season. But what I thought was interesting is in the first half, the Raiders came in at half time having played 15 offensive plays for minus 12 yards. Yeah, that is still only down 12 to nothing. Uh, it's still, uh, first of all, still only down 12 to nothing, which is massive on their defence. Potentially says something about Brock Osweiler. There were some opportunities in the red zone without doubt that he managed to, uh, to whiff on and didn't make on. But... I thought what was interesting was in the second half is that the Raiders actually managed to get the run going a bit. Actually, they managed to get their offense moving and they, they went out and, and they scored the touchdown and then they got... And that changed the complexity of the game. And actually, I think whilst the Denver defense are being dominant, you can only rely on that to a certain amount. And that showed so much more than at any other point this season in this game this weekend. Brock Osweiler, there's going to be calls now and we absolutely know it. There's going to be calls for Peyton Manning to come back after this weekend. Yeah, there are going to be calls, but I mean, I think that is a little bit like forgetting how bad Peyton Manning was. I, I mean, think you described it to me last night as utterly ludicrous. Yeah, it is. I mean, this this guy was... Osweiler has been a significant upgrade on Manning, and I know that the offence isn't going, but they, they've got a really bad offensive line. Well, a really injured offensive line as well as being poor. They've got... That still means the running game isn't going to work very well. It did against the Patriots, who were down Dante Hightower late in the game and had blown assignments all over the place. So the running game's not going to go until... It's just not going to go. It it goes a little bit more with Osweiler. The big key for me with Osweiler is he doesn't turn the ball over. Manning was turning the ball over two, three times a game. and Has Osweiler thrown an interception yet? Yeah, he did, he has. He threw he threw a tipped he, one. Um, he threw one against the Patriots that was a deflected pass. But yeah, he has thrown interceptions. It's not been as bad as we've seen in uh, as we saw from Manning, certainly. But uh, yeah, it's certainly not good. Um, I, I, the other the other part of that Broncos offense, though, and and um, the other thing I said to you last night was, I, I feel like if they had a genuinely decent run game, then that would make all the difference for them because. Hillman had two or three good runs last night. Juwan Thompson had two or three runs last night. But say if they had a top 12 back or maybe the CJ Anson, the way he played down the last eight games last season, they could totally rely on that. But right now, while the run game isn't going, it's going to get put on Osweiler's shoulders. And I'm not surprised to hear people calling for Manning. And I, I, there's part of me that thinks Manning is the most ridiculous player in terms of looking to go out and get individual records. And if it comes to week 17 and they've beaten the Bengals and therefore already have the bye, I fully expect them to throw Peyton Manning out there in the final game to go out and try and win a grotty game, grotty divisional game. I think they might have the Chargers um, to go out and set the record for most wins as a starting quarterback. But otherwise, I see no reason to go back to him at all. Maybe no, ever again. No, do I. I mean, what's interesting about that, that offence, and you mentioned the running game, and you're absolutely right, is... It is predicated on running the ball because the, the the players are designed up in such a way that a running play and a play-action pass player look absolutely identical. Now, if you can run the ball, 
then teams are terrified of that. You'll get your play-action bootlegs and there'll always be a guy wide open because teams are committing so many resources to stopping the run. If you can't get past the line of scrimmage, which a lot of these runs can't, I mean, the play calling was also really bad on Sunday. You, you mentioned Osweiler, but there were a few times where they'd made six or seven yards on first down and then were facing third and ten because there was some ridiculous horizontal play that got stuffed four, lines behind, four yards behind the line of scrimmage. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, if they could get a running game going, then that would make the difference, but... I just can't see that happening. I mean, it, it seems unlikely. Anderson was actually looking really good before he injured his ankle, I think it is. He'd had a couple of good weeks, yeah, prior to that, certainly. And, and it's one of those ones that you thought maybe he's going to return to that former last season and then to get an injury. I mean, killer injuries have, have been a key to this week. We've talked about Eiffel already and we'll get onto the Seahawks and Thomas Rawls and the potential impact on that. But both the Bengals lost this weekend and the Broncos lost this weekend. And... For you, Matthew Sherry, last week you managed to get back the best offensive player in the league who's not a quarterback. You managed to have the best offensive player in the league break his hand just before coming up against you. It's just easy street for the Patriots who move back from the three seed to the one seed with a dominant 27-6 win over the Texans. How is it on easy street, Matt Sherry? It's 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 slightly fun, but... <laughs> I was I was kind of hoping they would get the two seed, to be honest. Why, why, why do you want the two seed? I'm terrified of the Steelers. We actually, there were an interesting tweet we had in from Ant on that very point. Should the Patriots lose to the Jets on purpose to keep the Steelers out of the wildcard positions? Yeah, I mean, well, it doesn't keep them out of the wildcard positions because if the Steelers win out, they've got a, they've got a place ahead of the Jets. Because I think on the tiebreakers, their strength of schedule, as much as they've got the same record, it'll be better by the end of the season, because they'll obviously play Denver and Cincinnati, but it it doesn't keep them out of it. So the, the, there's not much value in that. But to me, the, the key to the Patriots' playoff hopes is is how Julian Edelman comes back. Now, there's a good chance in the divisional round he's not fully up to speed, and then he is in the championship game. I would much rather face the Steelers in the championship game than I would in the divisional round. But if they're the sixth seed, then it's almost guaranteed that you'll first them in the divisional round. Yeah, and, and that is, they are probably the toughest team coming in. And actually, I got some stick on Twitter last night uh, for the fact that in the last podcast, somebody tweeted us and asked, is there any possibility that the Patriots are the fifth best team in the AFC now? And the reason I said kind of that I agreed to that is that in my mind, I looked at that team without Gronkowski and I said, okay, can I see the Chiefs beating them? Can I see the Steelers beating them? Can I see the Broncos beating them? And can I see the Bengals beating them? And all four of those were absolutely yeses, particularly if they had to go on the road to any of those teams. But the moment Gronk comes back in, and he had a ridiculous 40-yard completion on that first touchdown drive that really set it up, and it just shows how quickly suddenly he can get the ball out. And even though there were big drops for LaFell, and even though... Uh, the uh, James White I thought was brilliant but you still have a bit of a drop off from Dion Lewis there having him back in the lineup uh, we can only we can only say it a thousand times and we will keep saying it it makes all the difference on that offense and it did again on Sunday yeah I mean you're talking about a player who is maybe one of the top three players in the entire league at any position he is so dominant at what he does and I mean 
What was noticeable as well is they actually got the running game going a little bit in this game. And he's a big part of that as well because he, he's a brilliant blocker as well. He, his blocking had really tailed off a bit after the, the, the arm injury. But this year it's been back to its best. And I mean, people ignore that factor. But he's such a he's such a dominant weapon. I mean, any team in the league would miss him. And I, I, I disagree that they were the fifth best team, I, I, I think, in a playoff situation that have won. But certainly... I think the, the point was, I think there was an argument to say they could finish yeah, fifth in a in a divisional situation. Say you put those four five teams in a division and they played each other a couple of times. There's potential for it. It's unlikely yeah, with that, Bill and Tom and everything else. But I, I I entertained the idea, and Patriots fans didn't like that. And, well, nothing's easy anymore, and even with Gronk back, nothing is really easy anymore. Because yeah, say, coming from a guy who's sat in the one seed right now, I'm not buying that. Uh, <laughs> the Patriots have now won 13 of the past 15 division titles. That's obviously the best stress, stretch in NFL history. It almost seems ridiculous to point that out. And you mentioned the running game there. I thought what was fantastic about getting the running game going is Jadavian Clowney had probably, my from the eye test, the best game I've seen him have for the Texans. Certainly he grew into the game third and fourth quarter. He was excellent. JJ Watt, even with that club thing on his hand, there was one play in particular where he took on Gronk and Chandler double teamed and still broke through and made a play on Brandon Bolden it was ridiculous to see he could still do that and when you can get the run game going even though you're coming up against that defense who was so good through four weeks recently that sits very well for the Patriots and certainly I fully expect them to to roll on and take the one seed now and probably go to the Super Bowl yeah, I mean, to me, the big story of the game was, um, and I feel like I mention him every time I'm on here, but Dante, <laughs> Dante Hightower never gets enough credit. This guy is one of the best three linebackers in the league. Now, he is healthy. Can't stay healthy, though. Well, he, he kind of is healthy at the moment. He's, he's practising, and clearly they're just holding him out, thinking, let's be sensible, because knee strains are really dodgy. They can lead to lead to worse things but he wasn't playing and the defense was still really really dominant in that game and I'm aware the Texans offense isn't great by any stretch of the imagination but that bodes really well for them down the stretch because he is the best player on their defense I mean Jamie Collins gets a lot of credit and so does um, Devin McCarty but but Hightower if you look at the numbers this year in terms of yards per carry given up I think it's about two yards per carry more when Hightower isn't on the field. He is a really, really good player. So their ability to kind of manage his injury situation heading into the playoffs now as well is massive. And I think that's what the number one seed gives them. It it gives them that kind of freedom. Why Rob Gronkowski was still in the game in the fourth quarter <laughs> catching the 40 yard passes another matter. And I'll never understand that. But you like to think that they could play it smart with injuries. I mean, I, I would play Gronkowski in fifty percent of the snaps against the Titans this week. You, you're going to win that game. There's, there's. Wow, the, I, the Titans deep. fans might not know that they're definitely going to win that game. And, <laughs> and actually, look, that, let's let's move on and say that leads us very nicely into the rest of the AFC South because the Texans missed out on an opportunity to move to a dominant first position in that division. Adam tweeted us asking if the AFC South can retake its crown as the division of disgrace. I think it's just such a toss-up between them and the NFC East right now. But the reason that they had the opportunity to regain first and the Jags clamber their way back into some playoff contention 
mention is that Blake Bortles threw for three touchdowns and ran for a score all in the second half as the Jags put up the first 50-burger of their regular season history, beating the Colts 51-16 on Sunday and ending the Colts' 16-game winning streak against fellow AFC South teams. Now, we have talked about this many times in the past. The Colts... Ryan Grigson, you've built a bad football team there. The same issues you had two years ago are the same issues you've had now and you've not addressed them. Yes, you've got some exciting pieces on offence, but I fully expect you to miss out on the playoffs now at this point. I think the Texans still probably have enough quality to take the AFC South. But for the Jags, oh, it was so exciting, Matt Sherry. Amazing. I'm going to read you something now. Um, I obviously write a column for the... For well, the magazine dot com. You got to get better at that plugging, buddy. I know I'm not great, mate. Um, yeah, <laughs> I do the column every Tuesday morning, and I obviously write a lot of it on a Sunday. And and after the botch snap that gave the 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 Colts a touchdown, I wrote that it's been frustrating being a Jacksonville fan over the last few years. But I can't think of a more frustrating year than this year because there's nothing more annoying than being bad when you could be really good. And then I had to delete that after a spectacular <laughs> second-half performance from the Jaguars. It was incredible. I mean, I, I, I don't think I, anybody ever sort of thought they'd see the day when the Jacksonville Jaguars would score 50 points. It's it's massively exciting. And, and I cannot wait now to see the Jaguars next year. They're the most exciting team coming to London next year for my money, and that is quite an impressive turnaround from what we've seen in recent times. No two games in the NFL are the same, but if next season we could get a game between the Colts and the Jags, which was tight going into the second half, and then suddenly the Jags, particularly in that fourth quarter, come out and just blow a team out. Alan Hearns with that huge 80-yard touchdown. Uh, Rashad Green, who in the return game, that's his second touchdown in three weeks, I think, in the return game, and he's had some... Big, big returns. Uh, obviously, Alan Robinson didn't have a particularly productive day, but had the touchdown. Julius Thomas, who I was very much on board, the Julius Thomas is a system tight end. They've overpaid him. He won't have the same production without Manning. It ends up Blake Bortles is a massive upgrade. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's great news for him, isn't it? Who basically thought, right, well, this might be my only chance to get a big NFL contract. I'll take the money and go to this ridiculously bad team and just collect some paychecks for a few years, but he's going to actually have a chance of winning probably playoff games because that's where the... They, if they can get Dante Fowler back, and I mean, you forget how unfortunate they were in the off-season with injuries, and even, obviously, send Eric Marks, who was a big player for them, came back this year, but I think he's on IR again now. Yeah. So... That, I mean, when that defensive line is improved with him and if Dante Fowler can come back from that injury and, and be explosive... And yeah, to build. I mean, their offence now is at a stage where it doesn't need mass, masses of work in the off-season. So the, I think they've got a decent amount of cap room again this year, although I could just be making that up completely. Well, the cap goes up this season as well, so every team's going to have a bit of wiggle room. Yeah, I, I think they might have significant room again because as much as they've had a lot in the last two years, they, they haven't gone crazy and overpaid they've been really sensible with it so i would guess they'd have a decent amount of cap room again and then they've obviously got another full draft to to build through plus their defense is really young and people their full team's really young but young defenses generally grow together and get better together and if gus bradley can really focus his energy on that side of the ball 
the Jaguars could be really, really good next year. And anybody who reads my column today could read the spot piece <laughs> that I've now written on the Jags and how different go, 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 it is to what go, it was going to be go, go, at halftime. Uh, for the Colts, we've heard uh, coming out in the last couple of days, in the last few hours, in the last 12 hours, whatever it works out to be, we've heard murmurings that Andrew Luck and his lacerated kidney may not return again this season. For me, if the Colts win this weekend, that information doesn't come out in a very similar fashion to i think if the patriots didn't lose to the eagles gronk probably doesn't play this weekend i think they've now kind of resigned themselves that andrew luck just keep him out rebuild they're going to blow that uh, that back room up this year in terms of the coaching they should blow the front office up as well uh, and just try and rebuild from the beginning with the good young offensive pieces they've got focus on the line focus on some pass rush make some changes and the, the guys I feel sorry for there are like the likes of Frank Gore, who he just had nowhere to go behind that offensive line. Hasselbeck took load of hard hits, left in the fourth quarter with a rib injury. Uh, it, it was just messy, really, really messy. Right, uh, the other, there was, uh, of course, another game involving an uh, AFC South team, but it's not them that we need to be talking about. It's the New York Jets, and it's Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing three touchdown passes as the stingy defense stifled Marcus Mariota in the Tennessee Titans offense for most of the game, and the Jets cruised to a 30-8 to victory, uh, mostly down to the man himself, Ryan Fitzmagic, oh, but oh, in no small magic. part down to the fact that Decker had a touchdown on the day. Marshall looked brilliant again, and somebody tweeted us saying, uh, does, is Marshall now looking like uh, he could be the steal of the season? Jets got him for just a fifth. My feeling on that is he's always looked good the first season, two seasons. He's moved somewhere. He's a guy who's moved around a lot. But the Jets are looking very relevant, Matt Sherry. They are, absolutely. And I mean, I think one guy who deserves masses of credit is Todd Bowles. This is a, a rookie head coach who... Again, something I've mentioned in the column is really calm, like almost, almost ridiculously calm for a for a head coach. He's just so cool. But apparently, after the Texans loss, he really went off on the players. I mean, that was widely reported, and I think they've won every game since. So, I mean, that that really speaks to his ability to kind of take the pulse of his team and know what's required to get them back on track. Because it was looking like the season was going down the drain at that I, point. I, I, now. I, I, no doubt. And that's what was interesting to me is that Fitzpatrick had a slump. We saw Chris Ivory coming off the back of that big London game. And he's... He's a player who picks up knocks because of what a physical runner he is. But he's picked himself back up 101 yards again uh, today in that game. And obviously we know how good their defence can be. The Titans are a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde team. They're a young team, again, with Mariota and not a huge amount of weapons around him. But they, they did exactly what they needed to do this weekend. And like you say, they they... they if they win out, they've got a really good chance of going to the playoffs. Those are some tough games in that run. But... I think with the Jets, if you told them this year you can go nine and, and not, whatever it works at nine and seven, maybe even ten and six, any Jets fan would have jumped down your throat for that sort of record in the first season with Bowles without what they saw as a quarterback. They've had a great year. Yeah, sadly, it means that the the could they could still finish eleven and five quite easily and miss the playoffs. So I I could certainly see them winning out. I think that the I think there's a good chance at home they'll beat New England next week. Um. So I, I could see them winning out, but as I say, if if, if Pittsburgh win out, and I'm, I'm I've just written down already that Kansas City have run, have won out because that schedule's ridiculously easy. Well, let's let's so, uh, let's mention that team because the Kansas City that schedule is ridiculous. 
but they haven't half laboured in the last two weeks to their to their wins. The Chiefs kept the Chargers out of the end zone twice right at the death to preserve a 10 and 3 victory. Alex Smith threw for 191 and uh, touchdown along with his first interception in 312 pass attempts. I've been loving on the Chiefs ever since they came over to London. They now make it seven in a row. Are you much more in the camp of it's great when a team can win ugly or are you concerned that against a bad Chargers team they didn't really get it done despite the win? Um it's kind of how they how they have to win. I know the offense has had some good weeks but to me, the story of the Chiefs' this season has been the turnaround on defence. And since that Wembley game, they've arguably been the best defence in the league. So then the teams they've got coming up, they can beat that way. I have big concerns if they played the Steelers or the Patriots in the playoffs because certainly against the Patriots who have what should be a really good offence again if Edelman comes back and a really good defence. I just don't think that... Kansas City can beat a team like that because they won't score enough points. And if you go up against a team who's going to get, say, 24 points in a playoff situation, then you may be in trouble. But in terms of the rest of the season, I'm not sure it'll be an issue, but I do think that catches up with them later on in the into yeah, the playoffs. It's, but it's, it's if pre- you don't offer the, the playoffs, the Chiefs a, a, a first-round playoff exit at 1-5, and five, I think, the start of the season. <laughs> but they snapped your hands off, so... <laughs> It's probably been a good year for the Chiefs, given how it started. I think they'd be the first team to do it in 40-odd years or something along those lines. It's a ridiculous uh, amount of time since a team's done that. And and, uh, interestingly, with with that Chiefs team, we mentioned the offence. They did struggle this week, but what's been so impressive up until now is that Macklin looked like they'd massively overpaid him with that contract, and actually, he's been excellent this season. Uh, The run game has really picked up after Charles went down. Kendrick West has been good. Spencer Ware's been really good as well as a one-two punch. And Alex Smith is a guy who, I, I spoke about this on the Five Live show this weekend, that he is a guy who, uh, we saw it against New Orleans with the 49ers, we saw it against the Colts in the playoffs with the Chiefs. If he has to go out there and throw the ball, actually, he's a guy who can put a team on his back and carry them. He just does it very, very rarely. So I'd actually think that a shootout between him and, say, the Steelers might end up being a better game than people expect. The Steelers' defence can give up big plays at times. Uh, but certainly it's worried me slightly this week with the Chiefs. I still think they make the playoffs because they've got such a ridiculous schedule. We keep going over it, but I still have they still got the Ravens to play, the Browns to play? Uh, and uh, and the, fi- the finish with the one game that looks tricky potentially is the Raiders at home, but you would think in that stadium with that crowd and the playoffs on the line, if they lost that game, that would be an indictment of everything they are as a team because that is... All the cards are stacked in their favour at that point. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's difficult to see them not making the playoffs. And and to me, and I think it's one of the questions I've seen on Twitter, is if the Jets do win out or even finish 10-6 and six and, and don't make the playoffs, to me it is the prime example of why the playoff expansion of the playoff field could be a good idea because a lot of people say, well, you already get bad teams in the playoffs. But actually all that does is means that some good teams miss the playoffs because you have to give a division winner a spot. So if you had an extra two teams, these teams with 10-6, and 11-5 and five records, who could potentially make deep playoff runs, not so much the Jets this year, but I think back to the Cardinals two years ago when they were 11-5 and five and were very much the NFL's hot team at that point. When the Bears missed out on the last day two, yeah. seasons, two three seasons ago and their offence was absolutely rolling. Uh, I think yeah. it was the year Lovey was sacked. That was They were great that year. 
Yeah, they, they're teams who could make deep playoff runs. So I think these are the kind of years where you look and think maybe it is a good idea because as much as you say there are bad teams in the playoffs already, that's largely because of the division structure rather than the fact that there aren't two more good teams to get in. And, <laughs> and certainly this year is a case where you could say that there are a couple of good teams. I don't know who the, the second team to get in would be at the moment in the AFC, but certainly the Jets look like a playoff team. We did the, uh, as I, I mentioned it already, uh, but I did the five live show this weekend. Nat Coombs was off and well, and, and I came in and covered as host. And thank you. A lot of people who get in touch with us on the podcast regularly also sent us in questions for that and listened in and gave us some really nice feedback. So, you know, that was lovely. Thank you so much to everyone who did get in touch. But somebody raised this point of the idea that we've talked about on the podcast before. Maybe not taking the, the game away from the uh, divisional team because that's ridiculous it just completely makes the divisional system a farce why would you play teams twice all of that stuff but the idea that maybe they get a road game rather than a home game if they're playing a team with a better record and i'll tell you our three studio guests were obviously iron mike carlson ben isaacs from shortlist who's a really good knowledgeable guy particularly on his college stuff well worth a follow on twitter and simon clancy you've heard on here quite often and i said that i didn't mind that idea and even quite liked it and man have i had three people shoot me down more in my life they are all real playoff traditionalists the idea of expansion the idea of changing the format they really didn't like it and i actually sit a little bit that way on the expansion i i don't want the playoffs to expand i think 12 teams is just about right Uh, i i think the moment if you expand it you expand it up to 16 which suddenly means half the league are getting into the playoffs which makes it seem a bit like it's just not as special to me i know that sounds ridiculous but okay occasionally a good team will miss out but that's the nature of the game and i just hope that trying to think of the best way to put this but i just think that that's what makes it so exciting and in week 17 this year of all three of those afc teams are going into it divisional games any of them could still make the five and six seed that's going to make for a great week 17 yeah i I do kind of agree with that i completely disagree with the guys on the scene that the scene should definitely be done on record I didn't know that there was anybody alive outside of the NFL headquarters who thought that this was a good system that they've got in place. There's, there's absolutely no way that a 7-9 and nine team should be seeded ahead of a 10-6 and six one. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's absolute madness. That's what they doesn't make sense to me. On record. I mean, that to me is the one no-brainer if they are going to do anything. That, that Then they should obviously do that. They will expand the playoff field. We all know that that'll happen. Um, if it can be another week of football, potentially, then they're going to absolutely love that opportunity. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's an absolute no-brainer to change the seeding system, and I don't see why you would be such a traditionalist about that. Yeah, and, and I'm totally with you. I think that uh, you, you've been rewarded with your playoff spot for winning your division. Great. But if you've only won seven games, I mean, there was a point before this week that it, like the NFC East could be won by a six-win team. Why should they then get to have somebody come into their building and potentially beat them? I mean, let's be honest, it'd be the Seahawks they get. In fact, let's get on and talk about the NFC. We've still got to come up. We'll talk about the also-rans. I know there are some AFC teams we've missed. We'll talk about the teams who really are out of it at this point. We've had a couple yeah. of great questions in on twitter as well but let's get on and talk about the nfc playoff 
Hey guys, it's Devon Sam here from LucasAid Sports Podcast, running the show. Check out this week's episode where we get to meet the one and only Anthony Joshua. Oh my goodness, do you think he wants to be friends with us now? Uh, yeah, mate, he, he told me that he wants to link up and have a bit of sparring. Yeah, sure he did. So head to all your podcast providers and click subscribe now. Also get in touch with us at LucasAid Sport using the hashtag running the show. You will not regret it. Well, the NFC plus are already decided, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that is exactly the problem. The NFC playoffs kind of are already decided. Uh, Nothing to see here, guys. It's already over. <laughs> Which means we can rattle through it maybe a little quicker than the AFC. We know the AFC race is a little more exciting. Losses for the Bucks and the Falcons this weekend meant that they are all but out of the wild card race. And we'll talk about those games, of course. But the seeding is a real key thing for everyone involved. And it's been a big question. And certainly... Certainly, if you read the Monday morning quarterback, great column from uh, Peter King, he spoke with Riverboat Ron this weekend. And when Ron was pushed on the idea and we got tweeted and asked about it, should the Panthers, Tom Marshall asked, time for the Panthers to rest players or roll with the momentum towards an undefeated season? He says rest them. Now, the Panthers, whilst I think if you picked against the Panthers this weekend, you were being ridiculous. But the idea that they were going to beat the Falcons 38 to nothing in a divisional game, which some people were talking about being a, a trap game. I mean, Cam Newton certainly added to his MVP resume. He was only 15 to 21, but for 265 yards, three touchdowns, it felt like every pass he was throwing was for like a 40-yard bomb. Uh, there was the 74-yard strike and the 46-yard to Ted Ginn. Jonathan Stewart ran for a touchdown and had a big day himself. This Panthers team just keep on rolling so the question is particularly looking at that Bucks game in week 17 are you resting players or are you thinking we've got a bye week let's keep our starters out there and keep that mojo yeah I'd, I'd see it's interesting for me I, I always think that it's really good and I, I, if I was a Panthers fan I'd be slightly relieved if they got beat off the Giants this week but if you get to week 17 you've got to go for it for my money and one thing that Ron Rivera said was interesting in that column was he mentioned when he was with the Bears that they kind of gave up on it and rested some guys in week 17 when they already had a, a, a one or two seed. And the players, they then got beaten the first round of the playoffs and he suggested that some felt it was a little bit of rust because they hadn't played. It does obviously give you kind of a full two-week window without a game if you do rest the players. I, I, I mean, realistically... As a team, how many chances do you get to even go 16-0? It's, it's kind of... I mean, as a Patriots fan, I was kind of relieved when they got beat off Dem against Denver because I think Belichick is desperate to give the league a FU enough to say, right, I'm going for this again. We failed at the last minute last time. But, I mean, I kind of, as a Patriots fan, thought, well, they've done that before, whereas... The Carolina Panthers may never get another chance to go for 16-0, so I don't see why you wouldn't go for it. I mean, maybe if at half-time the game isn't going your way and you're 10 points behind even, you think, right, well, we may as well give this up. But certainly from the start of the game, I'd be going for it and then I'd be reassessing it as the game goes along. Uh, I, I think we've said all we need to say about the Panthers. I'm kind. I'm on board with you. It's got to be an assessment as you go along. If they lose this weekend, yeah, absolutely. I think you rest players if you win the following weekend and get the one seed. The Cardinals have a tougher run and are less likely to take that one seed. But I fancy the Panthers actually to go 16-0 and with, with the teams they've got to face anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you, see, can't, you, can't, you can't half-ass it if you do it either. You've got to... 
if you're going to play Cam Newton, you've got to pick the first string offensive line because then you're just creating problems. If the Panthers suffered a injury to any reasonably key player, and I'm not necessarily thinking of Cam or Keegley or someone yeah. like that, I'm thinking about a, a Ted Ginn or any wide receiver, then certainly I'd think about shutting it down because they can't really afford it in those areas. But if you head into week 17 fully healthy, I don't see why you wouldn't go for it. Now, we're going to talk about the Seahawks now, and there are sea- the Seahawks are, have been a, a divisive team this season on this podcast with the Gridiron crew as total, uh, and Richard Sherman has decided he wants the entire media fired for suggesting the Seahawks might not make the playoffs this year. I was one of those guys, and I've held my hand up and I've eaten humble pie on this, because yet again this weekend, Russell Wilson throws another five touchdown passes, three of those to Doug Baldwin, and the Seahawks wore down an injury-depleted Ravens. Of course, they're playing a worse team this weekend than we've seen them play recently but 35 to 6 and these are the sort of results that we've not seen out of the Seahawks in the two years they've gone to the Super Bowl in terms of going out there and just absolutely trouncing teams unless they play in red and gold but let's not talk about that (laughs) going out there and hammering them into the ground and the improvement in the way that Wilson is playing quarterback just in terms of at the, earlier in the season, behind that offensive line, he did look scared at times. He scrambled too early. Yeah. His pocket presence in the last four weeks has been phenomenal. The connection with Doug Baldwin's been ridiculous. And the Seahawks actually now suddenly look like a team. They're stopping the run, but the pass rush and the secondary aren't anywhere near what they've been in recent years. But they could win the Super Bowl based on their offense. And that is ludicrous, Matthew Sherry. Yeah, it's kind of the way... They remind me so much of the early 2000 periods. It's all... Oh, of course they do. Of course they're... (laughs) Because it's like... It's like the same story. It's... We've got this guy who was... Who was, was really good in college. That we all know that AJ McCarron is the new Tom Brady. Come on, mate. Let's get on board with that one. <laughs> Absolutely. But, um, yeah, I forgot to mention that in the Bengals game. Look, AJ McCarron is a friend of the show. He's been on before and he's a lovely guy. But don't compare yourself to Tom Brady before you've had your first start in the NFL. Just setting yeah. yourself up for a fall. So, yeah, I, I kind of disagree for two reasons on that quickly. One... He wasn't actually comparing himself to him, really. And two... But mentioning, even mentioning his name is <laughs> yeah, enough. Well, why wouldn't you aspire to be Tom Brady? You'd rather that than he came in and said, right, look, guys, I'm not being funny, but the Bengals are dunk Sam <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you'd much rather he had a little bit of confidence and sort of aimed for the top. So I don't mind that. But, yeah, the, the Seahawks just... This is what needs to happen. I mean, I, I love Russell Wilson. I think I've made that perfectly clear. I think he is the best young quarterback by by some distance. I mean, Cam's closed the gap, but I would still take Russell Wilson ahead of him. And it's kind of that same story with the Patriots where they won the, won the Super Bowls on defence with Brady making key plays. And then Brady slowly became the, the star of the show. And that's what's happening now, and that's what needs to happen because they're going to have to pay... Russell Wilson a certain amount of money every year to keep him, so he needed to take that step, and he has taken that step. He's a, he's amazing. He's a wonderful, wonderful. Now I, I think there's genuine concerns. The team have re-signed Bryce Brown today, uh, and, they, and they look like. Uh, losing Thomas Rawls and still being a few weeks away from having Marshall and Lynch back, even though Wilson's been so good over these few weeks. To lose that run game entirely because Rules has stepped. I mean, Rules has been better than Marshall Lynch this season. I think that's Without not question, yeah. that's not controversial to say in any way. Uh, that 
as a season-ending injury. They're desperate to get Beastmo back as soon as possible because they're still... I mean, even though we're saying the NFC playoffs are decided at the moment, they need to make sure they're coming up against as low a seed as possible when they're moving forwards. And uh, I just think this injury is sneaking under the radar a little bit for the impact it could have on their season. Yeah, and I mean, you, you get a bit of fool's gold because they played a bad Baltimore team, so we're obviously able to overcome it in that game. I mean, it's it, to me, it's still... I still don't think Doug Baldwin's as good a wide receiver as the numbers suggest he is. I, I think. Well, no, I don't, I don't think he is, but I think Russell Wilson's that good, and he's, yeah, got absolutely. A, he's and, getting and, away and he's, with it. Tyler Lockett is a legitimate future star. He looks like a really good player, but you're still only looking at two guys as legitimately dangerous pass catchers. So if teams now aren't as frightened as the run game, because I'll be honest, I've rarely seen a rookie running back attack the line of scrimmage like Thomas Rawls. That guy was was brutal on you if you were a defender. He was building up a head of steam before he'd even got the handoff. So he looked really good, and I think that is going to be key in in, in more difficult games. We're probably not going to see it until maybe week 17 against the Cardinals if they can be bothered for that game because it means anything, which I don't think it will. So maybe it's the playoffs we find out. But, yeah, that could be an important injury, but this team goes as far as Russell Wilson takes them right now. So... That's, yeah, and that could be a long way. Yeah, it's a fair comment to make. Right, let's bang through some of the rest of the NFC because we need to talk about the East. But let's quickly uh, touch on the situation. Packers, Cowboys. Finally, I think we can put the nail in the coffin of this Cowboys nonsense. And for the Packers, a lot of positives to take from this game. First of all, news from the Packers that they've re-signed defensive end Mike Daniels to a four-year, $42 million extension. He's been key on the defensive side of the ball for them. Special teams won them this game in a big way. Ronzuk spent almost four of his six minutes of his uh, post-game press conference just talking about Jeff Janis, who made three unbelievable special teams plays in this game. And whilst the Packers look better with Mike McCarthy uh, calling the plays, they re-established the run, 233 yards on the ground between the two running backs. Lacey looks to be back in the good books. They were 14-7 going into the fourth quarter here, and they finally win by three touchdowns. But it wasn't quite the dominant performance that maybe the scoreline could suggest. No, it wasn't at all. I mean, I, I just I thought they were exactly the same as they've been the last few weeks. The, the only difference to me was that they were playing against an offence who couldn't make a first down and were knackered at the end of the game, so the running game obviously worked in the fourth quarter. I mean, the time of possession stats were about 38 minutes to 22, and that is because Matt Castle and the Dallas offence, and mainly Des Bryant, who dropped four passes that I can remember, couldn't make a first down. Now, if you can't make first downs, eventually the opposing running game will work against you because the defence is going to be knackered. And I thought that was the story of the game. I didn't think it was any great revival from the Packers. I thought the Packers were really, really unimpressive. They had five drives in the middle of the game that all ended in punts. The passing game still looks totally out of sync. And, I mean, bizarrely, you're now saying stop the run against the Packers and you can stop the offence. But it's true. I mean... I didn't think they were any more impressive in this game. They played a very bad team who, whose offense is maybe the worst I've ever seen. I, what I really, really before. don't get about this Dallas team is that they put it on Matt Castle. He has 29 passing attempts, completes for 114 yards. McFadden, on nine carries, went for 111 yards. Robert Turbin went for 51 yards yeah. off seven carries. These two had very impressive days on the ground. It was pissing it down with rain in Lambeau. It was unseasonably warm for this time of year. 
why they weren't going to the run. The Cowboys confused me with their play calling even more than the Packers. The, my concern with the Packers is when they did realise the run was working, they started to get things going. The moment one run play didn't work, suddenly they panicked, moved back to bootleg, moved back to doing what uh, what they've been doing all year, and that's not been working for them. There was a terrible uh, drop from uh, Cobb, specifically on the third and nine, which actually was then saved on that drive. Oh, uh, second and nine, which was saved on yeah. that drive by a, by a Rob Rogers scramble. But yeah, they're, they're still issues in green bay and yes they're stacking up these wins now and they're likely to at this point take the north and get a home game in lambeau but if they have the seahawks come in to play them or if they then got to travel to arizona or to carolina nothing about this performance today suggested that they'd beat those teams let's move on because i think we've said enough about that uh, division as we need to and talk about the situation in the nfc disgrace because for the first time this season the eagles washington and the giants all won in the same week we had t- <laughs> tweets about this neil the nfc east will be won by a team with a winning record if that's not an example of hysteria i don't know what is neil and Stephen adams tweeted three nfc disgrace teams win who is your favourite to win that division now? I'll just round up the games very quickly. The Giants won a really exciting Monday night football game last night. Uh, a final score 31-24, I, I believe, and we maybe need to mention Odell Beckham in a bit more detail. The Eagles won a tight one over the uh, over the Bills, which all but forced the Bills out of the playoff pictures. And for Washington, a dominant Jordan Reed performance gave them the win over the Bears. Trent Williams described Jordan Reed as the best pure receiving tight end in the league. I think you're being his hysterical yourself there Trent don't want to have to make people listen to that twice but uh, <laughs> Jordan Reed when he's fit looks like a hell of a player so just crystal ball these three teams all at six and seven who for you has just enough quality to come out of the east well the Giants have a horrible schedule they've got to go to Carolina and I think they're, they're at Minnesota as well so I think they're struggling well Washington won a game that I expect them to win when nobody gives a nobody's actually watching the game they'll win but soon as it's prime time I think they'll get beat and I think the Eagles look pretty good I mean Sam Bradford as criticised as that move has been has been really good in his last four games so he seems to be getting more of a handle on that offence getting Ryan Matthews back is big because you don't really want to give Darren Sproles 20 carries and I mean they may as well just they may as well just keep DeMarco Murray out of the 53 and trade him after the year because I think that, that's over with. But yeah, I think the Eagles will win it. Um, they've got a, a relatively decent schedule outside of a, a tough game against Arizona on Sunday night. And, and, and they're playing better. I mean, their defence still massively concerns me, but I think the, the schedule shakes out in such a way that they can beat the Giants and Washington and... and, and, and do it, as it were. And take the division on 8-8. Eight and eight. Glorious. Yeah, <laughs> That is it, isn't it? Yeah, uh, we're going to get stick from both Philly fans and from uh, Washington fans for not talking about their team in more depth. We do, I, uh, just to talk about uh, those numbers from Jordan Reed. Kirk Cousins had a, a, another good game, 300 yards and a touchdown. Jordan Reed just looked utterly ridiculous. Uh, 120 yards, nine catches and a touchdown. He's the sort of player that they can build an offense around. Absolutely loving him right now. For Philly, they beat the Bills based off very much the Bills in discipline as well as their own discipline as it were and, and you were right I think Sam Bradford had one of his best games for the Eagles and he's been quietly getting better over the last three weeks they look better with the running game when they don't 
employ DeMarco Murray out there. Sproles and Matthews splitting the carries 50-50. Uh, they didn't do a huge, have a huge day, but they definitely look better than DeMarco Murray has. But let's just quickly talk about the Giants and Odell Beckham. That game, Odell Beckham made two touchdown catches, including an 84-yard reception to break a fourth-quarter tie, and the Giants forged a three-way tie at the top of the NFC East. Eli Manning went 27 for 31 for 337 yards and four touchdowns. Eli Manning, by the way, we're going to talk about Odell Beckham, but Eli Manning threw four uh, touchdowns today and only four incompletions. He was the definition of efficiency. Um, but Odell Beckham, most touchdown receptions since week five of last season when he got his first start, he has 24 touchdowns. Gronk is second with 19, Antonio Brown with 15, and Dez with 15. Just everything about him. He's now first uh, in his first two seasons in yardage. He's first in his first two seasons in uh, in um, catches as well. And I think he's second in terms of receiving touchdowns through the first 25 career games. I feel like earlier in the year, people weren't giving him the respect he deserved because he wasn't making the big splashy plays. But this guy just... What would the Giants be... If they hadn't, if somebody above eleventh had taken Odo Beckham, um, heading towards a two and four <laughs> each season, <laughs> and it genuinely is that bad. It, and teams took wide receivers above him. We saw Mike Evans go. We saw Sammy Watkins go. Both great players, but not the game changers that Odell Beckham is. Maybe He's Watkins, incredible. Watkins <laughs> is coming into it a bit, but yeah, pretty. Pretty ridiculous in the East. Uh, we did have another tweet in from Cumbleton. Uh, I, I don't know. I can't remember. It's Jay Cumbleton. Um, he said, is there any way Fletcher Cox isn't voted into the Pro Bowl? Um, he has had a great... The last two weeks, Fletcher Cox has been brilliant. But for me, I think he probably gets voted into the Pro Bowl. He's not the All-Pro. We talked about Khalil Mack today. He's been ridiculous. If you're going to take two guys on the outside, defensive ends, outside linebackers, however you want to line it up, then it's JJ Watt. And right now, it's probably Khalil Mack as well. Um, amazing as that is to say. And that's without even looking at who Denver have got. So Pro Bowl maybe, All-Pro no. Yeah, I, I mean, he should make the Pro Bowl, but he's not. He's, he's the kind of guy who's got a lot of late buzz, and I haven't looked at the Pro Bowl voting, voting but... I mean, it's generally a popularity contest. So he'll, he'll almost certainly have a terrible season next year and get in because he was so mentioned at the end of this year, as it always is. But he, he, is, a, he is a great player. He's, he's one of the best defensive linemen in the league, but he's kind of one of those under-the-radar guys. So I, I don't think he does actually get in the Pro Bowl, but that's not to say that he doesn't deserve to get in the Pro Bowl. He's been absolutely superb this year and certainly is... The one piece of that Eagles defence that shows up every week and, and is reliable. I mean, we, t- we did, uh, again, on the Five Live show this weekend, we talked about defensive MVPs because they'd done MVP the week before. And, and uh, obviously, I think JJ Watt obviously comes up a lot. But actually, I think the first six or seven tweets we came in seemed to name different players. A, a number of them from the Panthers and Keekley Davis, Josh Norman were all mentioned from the Panthers. But then outside of that, uh, Geno Atkins was mentioned, JJ Watt was mentioned. Um, Fletcher Cox was mentioned, but funnily enough, it was by Cumbleton who mentioned him. So um, that loves him some Fletcher Cox. <laughs> Clearly, big big Fletcher Cox guy. Um, big Cox guy, yeah. All right. Oh come on! Uh, <laughs> actually, to be fair, Ollie's not here. We need somebody to make those sorts of comments. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, certainly there are. It's one of those years that there's been so many great players uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, they've been so impressive that uh, you could see some real. Uh, great missing out from the Pro Bowl this year. 
And as I say, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of defensive MVP, I think Watt definitely wins it, and then me two after that will probably be um, Tyron Matthew and uh, and Thomas Davis has been amazing this year. Tyron Matthew is another one that I didn't even mention there, and we definitely got tweets on him, but he's been ridic- so ridiculous. Um, right, there are three more games. We've got a question, a fun question to kind of end the show on that we'll do. It's a bit of a power ranking that we'll get onto in a moment. Don't worry, it's not teams. We don't do that nonsense. But there were three also ran games this weekend and i guess they kind of feed nicely into our question so i'm going to change the order on the fly and start off with the detroit lions at the st louis rams todd Gurley ran for 140 yards and two second half touchdowns as the rams ended a five game losing streak with a 21-7 victory a 21-14 victory sorry over the lions on sunday um just very quickly for the rams Gurley not looked great through that five game losing streak they suddenly lean on him they're giving the ball a lot they win a game yeah, it's, it's not rocket science, is it? Um, unfortunately, they've got a coach who is anything but a rocket scientist. And if I was a Rams fan, I'd be kind of hoping to lose a few more just so he gets fired. Yeah, I, I, there's no chance they climb back to uh, to eight and eight at this point. They need to win out, and they've still got the Seahawks and the 49ers in the final I th- week. I think they do have the the, the, uh, the Falcons on the schedule as well, so that's going to be a certain win if if that was right. I think I saw that. It, it's actually it's actually the Bucks, which is uh, I you know the Bucks the 49ers is the certain win. I was just trying to play it down as if it wasn't. Um, the, the 49ers, let's get on to that game next. Johnny Manziel notches a win. The Browns topple the 49ers 24-10. The popular opinion was that the 49ers were going to go in and do this after an impressive win against the Bears this week. The Browns, however, got the running ga- game going. Johnny Manziel shook off a first-half interception and a sideline meltdown when he smashed his own, not iPad, whatever they use in the NFL, Microsoft <laughs> Edge Microsoft tablet, tablet things. Will. Yeah, they were this. Uh, they don't sponsor us, I don't care. They sm- <laughs> he's smashing the tablet into his own forehead and suddenly came out and played really well in the second half he had 270 yards quality overall performance from him the browns moved to three and ten and maybe they just you know with the quality of the quarterbacks in this draft isn't great maybe the browns try and shore up some of the other areas and and run with him for a season uh, probably not, because I'm pretty sure he's going to go and get pissed this way again. So desperate is he to be traded at the end of the year. Now that he's won a game, he'll go and get he'll he'll go and get it accidentally plays video on TMZ that undoubtedly forces them to trade him to a team Look, who are relevant. I, I feel I feel incredibly bad for Johnny Manziel because three times this season he's had to be told he's going to be starting for the Browns. Are we are we not convinced though that a lot of the things he's doing now is literally to get traded? I mean. The, I'm, well, it's not actually, it's not something that anyone's posited to me before. That's, that's, it's an interesting point, and certainly the Cowboys, I think, would be interested with the Romo injuries and with what a, a shit show Castle's been and, and everything else. I think Jerry would absolutely snap the hand off if he could go and get him for oh, without question. a lower round pick than they would have spent on him with their first. Uh, he would be loving that. Uh, um, so maybe maybe that's exactly what he's doing the final game just to quickly touch on uh, the Saints the Bucks threw away their playoff chances here Drew Brees threw a pair of touchdowns to Marquise Colston that is a name we haven't said on the podcast in a long time and the Saints stopped their own losing streak of four games with a 24-17 victory over Tampa Bay Tim Hightower what a great story out of the league for four years comes back in has a great game of his own 28 carries 85 yards a touchdown um the loss for the Bucks second in three games and every time we seem to say the Bucks are great they suddenly have a bit of a fallback but much like we said earlier about Chiefs fans, and we've said it a couple of times on this show, if you'd said to the Bucks at the beginning of the season, Winston's going to look great, and you're going to get six to eight wins, they'd be delighted. 
Oh, absolutely. It's been a really good year for the books, and truthfully, the the, the fairly talent deficient around Winston. I mean, you look at that team, and I, I think Mike Evans, um, Vonda David, um, Gerald McCoy, and then outside of that, I think who were the guys? Safari and Jenkins has had a decent year at tight end, so they're not a massively talented team. I would I would say that. Winston's been great, hasn't he? I mean, ultimately, that's all you're looking for in this league. You draft a quarterback first overall. If you quarter that quarterback has a decent year, the rest of it doesn't matter because that then sets you up for future years. And obviously, Doug Martin as well, who I've forgotten about there's had a great bounce back year. So it's it's and exciting times for Bucks fans. It's yeah. exciting times for every fans of for all fans of Florida teams outside of Miami, I think, as much as Simon Clancy will hate to hear me say that. Um, we, we haven't seen a Florida team in the uh, we haven't seen a Florida team in the playoffs for seven years. Uh, might not be this year, but next year we might get a Florida team in the playoffs. Could Come get on. two Florida teams in the playoffs. It could be really fun. But yeah, I mean, Winston's be been fantastic. But way better in his first year than I thought he was going to be. Well, this brings us on to our question to round off the podcast then. Adam, a different Adam to earlier. Don't need to think that only one person is asking us questions. Asked us, what order, considering what you've seen this season, would you redraft the 2014 and 2015 quarterback classes now so just to run through who your options are from that six Bortles Johnny Football Teddy Bridgewater Derek Carr Mariota Winston if you're looking for a quarterback at this point you've got six quarterback needy teams forget about the scheme fit and everything else who are you going first to last with those six? Oh, that is tough it is really tough I do not even mind putting in an edit point and coming back to it and, and discussing it look Purely on uh, everything that's happened, I'm putting Johnny in last. That's that's happening, even though yeah. I still think there's talent there. I, th- I think Bridgewater's been been really solid, but I think he would have to go as second last. We have agreement on that at the moment. Certainly, what I've seen from the other guys, a bit more dynamic. Bridgewater, I, I don't see his deep ball as being impressive. Um, I think that he's making some mistakes in the pocket in situations he really doesn't need to. That's not to say he's been bad. This is why it's such a great question. And, it, and he's All actually playing behind guys. a really, really, really bad offensive line as well, which yeah. is which is always a, an X factor. Um, so it's it's hard to put him fifth, but I think the, he has to be fifth. Yeah, and, and I think you're right in doing that. Now... Here's my feeling on the other on the other four, and this has to be purely on what we've seen this year from them. I, I'm going to put Winston and Mariota in three and four at the moment because whilst they've been great, we've had the RG3s in the past. We've had those guys. It's a smaller sample size, whereas Bortles and Carr have both, for me, shown real growth in the second year. So they would be my one and two, and Winston Mariota would be my three and four. It's just right now, maybe on potential... Other guys would jump ahead, but I would say going into next season, I'd be more confident with those two guys who've had two years in the league. But based on what I based on what I thought pre-draft, I would have Winston as number one. Wow, I, I just think he's been brilliant, and 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 I thought that he'd really struggle in his rookie year, and that he's he he's got a, a great mind. He computes things brilliantly. He's really really intelligent, and that's obviously massive for a quarterback. He he is, he's not turned the ball over as well, which we thought know, he was going to do. Which is the one thing that you're worried about. I, I think Winston's had an amazing rookie year. You would have to put Mariota fourth, but in terms of potential, I'd be tempted to put him second. because. But my only worry for Mariota is, 
And again, it's based on what you thought pre-draft. Mariota has come in and shown he can do good things from the pocket. And it's easy to forget after a game like Sunday that there was that time where he had, I think, three or four touchdown 300-yard games twice, which only Brady had done this season. So he has looked amazing as well. And I mean, I think you have to put him forward just because of what Bortles and Carr have done. And based on this year, he'd probably have Carr two, Bortles three. But I'd be tempted to put Mariota at two because I, I think the potential is absolutely enormous with Mariota. And if they can get an Adam Gaze-type figure in as head coach and, and shore up that offensive line, which is the one big concern for any young quarterback, and especially a guy like that who you don't want to see getting hit more than he needs to because he will take hits anyway, he could be fantastic next year. So that one is a, a one where I kind of have to put him four, but I'd love to put him two. Yeah, and I, I'm with you on Winston in terms of the talent and what he's done this year, and he's had the most impressive rookie season uh, of anyone of the last few years. But uh, I, the Carr-Bortles thing, I'm leaning towards Bortles based purely on Carr has uh, slipped off the pace in a big way the last five or six weeks. Yeah. I mean, te- Eight weeks into the season, I was ready to anoint him the best of that class by some distance but Bortles has grown into that offense he's obviously had the same players around him the whole time maybe I need to bring the whole Jags offense with me to feel truly comfortable with it but those guys are almost a coin flip for me so I think we're we're all saying that our bottom three is Mariota Bridgewater uh, Johnny Football and our top three is Winston Carr Bortles but we're in a different order you've got Winston top Carr then Bortles and I'm probably going Bortles Carr Winston but don't be surprised if the end of next season, Winston is uh, streaks ahead of the rest of those players. Well, what I think is really interesting, why it's an amazing question, is... Well done, Adam. All, that is an amazing question. All six well. could be really good. Yeah. And, and I think genuinely we're going to see a trend bucked. You know, whether it's Ryan Leaf, whether it's RG3, whoever that guy is who's picked in with the one and two who fails, it always seems to happen... I genuinely believe it's not going to happen with these two. One, I think they can both be good, consistent NFL starters for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah, I think it's a massive head coach hire for, for Tennessee. Yeah, huge. Absolutely they, they, huge. They, they need to get that right. And I mean, that that's kind of one of the things you look at. And I mean, when you're talking about Derek Carr, it's interesting because David Carr was a guy who was just ruined by a bad offensive line. And you worry about that with, with Mariota and you need to get a guy... In who's the right head coach? But it, I mean, they could, they, they would have a lot of good offensive minds interested in that job. I look at Gaze, Hugh Jackson, maybe Josh McDaniels will be interested. Yeah, Josh, so, uh, Josh McDaniels is an interesting one. He's one that I have not heard floated about as much. Gase and Jackson appear to be the two kind of hot hands, as it were. But that's an interesting one as well. And definitely that's the kind of player I want to see there. Adam Schefter Punch. suggested that McDaniels was top of a lot of teams' lists. And then that doesn't surprise me because. You see a lot where second-time second, second time head coaches are successful. And I, I know he's working with Tom Brady, but a lot of what the Patriots do well is based on his play design and scheme. He's, he is really good, and I can say that as somebody who, who's watched the Patriots more than, more than any other team, obviously. He is, he is really good. But I would think all of those teams, there are two jobs that I look at that are probably coming up. It's that and obviously Indianapolis. But I really think Nick Saban will go with Indianapolis. I think it's really, to me, it's hilarious that we're both looking all at coordinators and not looking either to college or to uh, coaches that are out there as well. Uh, Shula's a name, another name that's been mentioned with what he's done with the Panthers this year, but he's been 
horrendously inconsistent before this year. And another guy, and I'm literally just going to throw this in to piss Paolo Bandini off, but Harold Goodwin is a guy who very quietly has been brilliant with the Cardinals this year as an offensive coordinator. And I think as they get into a postseason run, that's a name you might start to hear interest from teams who are um, looking after Black Monday for a coach. Yeah, I've actually, um, I don't want to give away too much of me column because I hope people read it. Um, <laughs> After this riveting conversation, how can they not, Matthew Sherry? <laughs> uh, Dave Phipp is the special teams coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, that to me has been over the last 18 months maybe the best unit in football. Um, I can remember and, the game, and I know this is picking a 49er game in particular, but I can remember the game where they came in and uh, they had, I think, three special teams touchdowns in the first half. And they didn't do anything on offense or defense, but they were just kept in games by special teams. Yeah, and I mean, I remember last year, I, I think they did the staff 5, 6 and 0, 7 and 0, something like that last year. They were, they were averaging like 30 points a game, but I think at least 10 of those a game were coming from special teams. They've, he... Special teams guys never get the love. And I, I was trying to think of this. Can you think of a special teams guy who has got a head coaching job since John Harbour, who is now one of the top five coaches in the NFL? No. Not, not so, uh, special teams guys. Belichick started as a special teams guy. I mean, there are a lot of good coaches who coach special teams. That's really fun. that's that's a great question. I, I really I all of this I'm really enjoying, <laughs> um, but sadly we're going to have to end it there because we have run horrendously long. Uh, it's been really good fun, Matt Sherry. Uh, people keep checking out gridiron-magazine.com. Your uh, article will be up there today, uh, so we'll tweet out a link from that at Gridiron on Twitter. As you see, if we get a great question, we will not only do it, we will do it in a ridiculous amount of depth. So uh, absolutely, and uh, just to say as well. Well, the next magazine goes to print today, which is why I am up so bloody early. Um, it's it's a really interesting one for guys who love the history of the game and maybe guys who haven't looked into it in so much depth but are interested in it. We've we've kind of picked the twenty five most significant dates in NFL history. There's some amazing stuff in there. We've got. Michael McCambridge, who wrote America's Game, and that is the definitive history book in the NFL, who's done a piece for us. We've got loads of different writers writing about some amazing days in NFL history, from TV deals to great games. It's it's really a definitive oral history in it, in the shortest form that we can put it together in. So I'd really urge people to buy that. It's a it's a cracking one to read over the holidays. You can do it in numerous sittings. There's loads and loads of Long form, great features. A lot of friends of the show, Pete Carline from the Daily Mail's involved. Loads of loads of good writers. It's a really lovely magazine. So yeah, people can buy that as a Christmas present if they want, and that'll be out soon. <laughs> good work, mate. Look, uh, always a pleasure. I think the next time I'll see you face to face will probably be on the shores of the bay. Until Hello. until then, I'm sure we'll catch up between now and then. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been really good fun, and we're going to play you out because the NFC East have had such a spectacular week and because you lot enjoyed this so much the last time we played it with some Ken Yong, some Rob Riggle, and <laughs> some Hello, the NFC East. Hey, no, hey, I'm taking the Panthers and the Broncos. I'm staying away from our division because it's garbage. I got to run. I love you, Eli. Dale, it's me, 
I think I'm breaking up with the Eastern NFC. It might be over for these teams. They say that cream's supposed to rise, girl, but our division's curdling. DeMarco, can you hear me? I'm in Philadelphia dreaming about the stud you used to be when you were blocked for running free. Have you forgotten how it felt not to play for Chip Kelly? There's such a difference between the Eagles and the decent old line. Hey, we ain't got time for that, man. 